This is the Living Vertizano podcast, brought to you by The Church at Riverstone, a fellowship of the Church of the Nazarene in Madera, California. Our episode today examines Matthew 27, 27 to 44, where we read the accounts of Jesus being mocked and hung on the cross. Together, we will be discussing the importance of listening first. Hi, everybody. I'm Nick. I'm Natasha. I'm Brittany. I'm Derek. And we are the Living Vertizontal Podcast, back in full force this week, which we are very excited about to be back together. Um, and just really quick as a recap, last week, N- Natasha and I s- focused on Jesus's time with Pilate uh, before being sent to death, which was found in Matthew chapter 27, verses 11 through 26. Uh, and together with that, we discussed listening for the Spirit's voice, even in unlikely places, um, as we follow obediently after Jesus. This week, we're going to continue this um, the story of Jesus's ultimate crucifixion uh, by first looking at um, him being mocked by the soldiers and then uh, being hung on the cross found in Matthew 27, verses 27 through 44. And I believe today we have Natasha reading for us. So, Natasha, would you read Matthew 27, verse 27 through 44? Yes. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him and then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand. Then they knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, King of the Jews, they said. They spit on him and took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. After they had mocked him, they took off the robe and put his own clothes back on him. Then they led him away to crucify him. As they were going out, They met a man from Cyrene named Simon, and they forced him to carry the cross. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. There they offered Jesus wine to drink, mixed with gall, but after tasting it, he refused to drink it. When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots, and sitting down, they kept watch over him there. Above his head, they placed a written charge against him. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Two rebels were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, You who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross, if you are the Son of God. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said. But he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now, if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. In the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. All right. Thank you for reading that for us, Natasha. So, Let's uh let's go ahead and just jump right in. What are you guys seeing? What's standing out to you as uh, you look at this passage? Well, the first thing I had to check on was the word praetorium. And so I'm assuming it's a place based on its context. So and doing a little bit of research, 
basically the closest I could come up with was like a, a barracks, like a military barracks where all the soldiers would have kind of hung around, hang hung out, I guess. Um, kind of like the outpost yes. the place where they would have been like to go to stay when in yeah, the occupying yeah. place for the Romans. Exactly. So as I'm envisioning this place, that helped to give me a little bit of a picture of, of what this place would have looked like and, and how many soldiers and all that, that would have been around. And so like, as I was studying this, like that makes a lot of sense because you know, it, it said that there would have been at least 600 soldiers there. So that's, it's quite that's a, a quite a gathering, people. quite a gathering for one guy, and right. so you have all these soldiers, and they're there for one one man. So they're they're they they must have been bored with you know just this one guy. He's not threatening in any way. Hasn't been threatening in any way, at least you know not to them physically. Mm-hmm. And so um, they almost treated Jesus kind of like a dress up doll. You know they they dressed him up for who he said he was. They gave him a a robe and a crown of thorns and a staff. And it's as if they treated Jesus like he's just this doll for their entertainment. And they're going to mock him and kneel before him and treat him for who he thinks he is. And thinking about that, I just imagine like, I mean, Jesus has already been through so much in the sense of um, like false accusations continually coming at him and not standing up for himself. And I feel like it just keeps getting worse and worse in the opposition that he is facing and the humiliation that he is encountering. And his response continues to remain. Like, he's not defending himself. He's not fighting back. He's not responding. And I, I mean, I would imagine these soldiers were probably doing this in an effort to get a response. I mean, usually when I, you know, I have children and when they start being kind of a pest to each other, they're doing it to try to get a response from the person that they're being a pest to. And I would imagine that that's probably what the soldiers were expecting to get out of it, to make it somewhat enjoyable, right? Like, Hey, we're going to be mean to this guy and he's going to, we're going to get a rise out of him, and we're going to get a laugh out of it. But Jesus continues to remain consistent, continues to quietly and patiently endure anything and everything that's thrown at him. Yeah, I feel like this is the example of what obedience looks like for mm-hmm. us, that we may be mocked, we may be spat upon, and he, they are beating his head with the crown of thorns, just pressing it down into his head. So, I mean, he's facing all this, all these these things and his resolve is to be obedient to the will of the father. You know, Mm -hmm. he doesn't need, he doesn't feel the need or he hasn't heard God telling him to respond. And so his resolve is like quiet obedience in the midst of total opposition. And like the only person that he has to rely on at this point is the father. That's it. There is no one else. Everybody else is left gone. So he only has the father. Yeah, so at the kids' table, we talked about how really, if we could sum this up with a modern word, all of the kids agreed that this would be Jesus being bullied. He's being bullied here. And so then as we look at the example of Jesus, and you th- you, tr- you put yourself in the modern-day shoes of this, right? So being being bullied, just just 
horribly mean things said about you, done to you. Um, and then yet his response, as you've said, is this resolve to silence. And so Derek, as I think about what, what you pointed out about this, these moments of obedience and where he finds his strength to be obedient. I think when, when I consider being in this type of a modern day situation, I feel like you, the only thing that could possibly even help get you through this is God and is your obedience and your resolve to be obedient to him. Otherwise, I don't think we could withstand this. As a parent, I, I thought, because we were talking to the kids about this, I'm like, how could I stand that as a parent to watch my child endure such torment in, in a modern day picture, but then still wanting them to behave and respond as Jesus would? The only thing that's going to get me through that as the parent, the only thing that's going to get my child through that is this resolve to obey. And this resolve to lean into Jesus's strength and all that he can give. I think as we, as we push on from that and move into the next like part of, of our passage for today, which, you know, turns that corner to discuss the, the actual crucifixion of Jesus. Um, one of the things that really got my attention, um, and, and came from as a result of an observation of one of the teens, because uh, I, I had the privilege of sitting at the teen table on Sunday. And uh, one of the teens, you know, pointed out that, or, or asked, like, who, who is this guy, Simon, that helps Jesus, that carries the cross for Jesus? And we talked about that for a little bit, and then talked about this idea of, like, like Jesus, God, incarnate, um, accepted, received help as he was on his way to the cross and being God. I mean, much like a lot of the mockers point out later on as he's hanging on the cross, like he could, he could easily shoulder the weight of that cross, even having gone through what he went through as, as God. I don't think that was too heavy for him. And yet you see this picture of Jesus allowing somebody to help him bear his cross. Um, and so in thinking about this idea that you just, you know, that, that both you and Derek, Natasha were, were talking about, about how like Jesus had nobody, like he, the one he could turn to was his father. And, and that's who he was going to look to as he continued to walk this path of obedience. And that's who he was going to like, uh, wait on to see how he's to respond and what he is supposed to do going forward. And then you get this moment where an individual is brought in and instead of Jesus, you know, just acting in supernatural strength and walking, you see him receive the, I guess for lack of a better term, we talked about this a number of weeks ago, like months ago, receive hospitality from a man named Simon. Um, and so when I thought about this more so, like if, if Jesus chose not to walk alone in this time of darkness, in this time of suffering, in this time of difficulty that he was encountering, 
how much more so should we choose not to walk alone when we are going through our times of, of difficulty, our times of suffering? I know for me, when I, I was going to say when I have a time like this, I've never had a time like this, but when I'm going through a tough time, that is like a prime moment for me to kind of pull everything, like really internalize everything, try to, try to just, you know, buck up and figure it out myself and, and not go lean on somebody else or depend on somebody else. But Jesus, again, providing a great example for us to follow, even though he could have, doesn't. Not that he couldn't do it on his own. He doesn't do it on his own. And that is, that's challenging to me. It, 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 it challenges me to, to reevaluate how I encounter my own suffering and recognize that just as Christ was willing to suffer with, like we have got to be able to open up and suffer with like community is so important to who we are as Christians. And I think that unfortunately as Americans, we have become so individualized and we have allowed that to seep into and speak into who we are as Christians. We have lost sight of this communal peace that is so necessary to who we are as Christians. Um, and so that, that was just one of the things that really grabbed me um, as we move into the, the crucifixion scene. It kind of strikes me as you say that, like Jesus being obedient when we're obedient, I always feel like God brings somebody along when there's a time mm. of like great need. Like he always delivers somebody. And why wouldn't the father do that for the son too? Like when he's in great need, when he's in great distress, when right. he sees and he knows the heart of the son. And so he's like, I, I see where you are. And for me, I mean, I know that there's nothing that says that, but I know the God mm, that right. I serve. And it doesn't seem out of the realm of possibility for me to think that God saw the weakness that, that, that what Christ was enduring and said, I'm going to provide you some help right now. So to me, like, as you say that, like, I can very easily see God doing that because that's, that's who he is. That's his nature. It's a beautiful picture of the blessing of the church. Mm -hmm. And I don't think going back to, to your point, Nick, about the individualization that our culture has kind of created. Mm -hmm. We miss out on those aspects of the church, like bearing one another's burdens, but we read all about it in the New Testament church. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's a good callback, a good reminder to, to share our burdens with others because it becomes both a blessing to us as the sharer, and it also becomes an avenue of blessing for those around you as they're able to journey with you, watch God work in the midst of, mm -hmm. participate in the hospitality that may or may not be need to be extended into the situation. But I just, I think it's just such a beautiful picture of the church. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think about, um, yeah, to to share our burdens with others, but also be willing to accept 
you know, he, yes, Simon was forced to carry the cross, but there's something when somebody shares hard things and it's uncomfortable. Um, it's, it can be uncomfortable for the person, um, who's in that moment and being, getting that, you know, information and that hard stuff, it, you know, it sometimes can be really uncomfortable. And I think our nature is to shy away from the uncomfortable and say, well, you know what, it's going to be better. It's going to be okay. And sometimes it's not. And I think a lot of times people just want to be heard. And we really need to think about what we need to be cognizant of what the spirit is telling us to do. And sometimes it's sitting in the uncomfortable Hmm. and it's listening and not trying to solve the problem, but just listening and being in an uncomfortable position with somebody else that's in an uncomfortable position. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, I feel like that's so true because we often feel like we have to have the fix or the solution or share from our own personal experiences um, when so oftentimes those pieces of advice are not necessarily spirit-led. Mm-hmm. And so I think, yeah, that's, it's important for us to be guided by the spirit as we enter into those conversations to know when we should listen only and know when, when any sort of advice or, or input is needed at all, when any words really are needed at all. So in my, my job, I do a lot of intervening when things are bad. Um, I, when family members have complaints or patients have complaints, I kind of intervene and try to figure out what's going on. And 90, probably 98% of the time, they just want to be heard. They don't want me to fix anything. They don't want me to do anything. They just want to tell somebody. They just want to talk. And sometimes the things that are being discussed are really hard and really uncomfortable. And my reaction is, I'm as a people pleaser, is that I want to fix it. I want to make this better. But that's not what is needed. Sometimes what is needed is just to listen and to sit in that uncomfortableness. Mm-hmm. All right. So I have one more word I need some clarity on as we continue moving through this passage. Gall. What is what is gall, Brittany? Like medical professional, help us out here. <laughs> Um, so when I did a little looking into gall, gall, it, gall was a bitter anesthetic is what they kind of think that this is. And um, there's a couple of theories, but the one that seemed to be pretty um, more abundant is Jesus didn't drink the wine mixed with gall because when he tasted it, he realized that it was mixed with the aesthetic and he didn't want to be numbed of his senses that the anesthetic would numb his senses and he wanted to be fully awake and fully aware of what was going on. So maybe with that and maybe speaking to that further earlier when Derek was saying what he was, I I don't even remember the exact word that you said, Derek, but it was about um, Simon and, and like that, that process of Simon helping Jesus bear the cross. Um, and, and the thought came to my mind that Jesus was refusing to be self-sufficient, right? He's being dependent on, on his father. 
and his father has sent, seeing him in his time of need, has sent him something to provide. And all of a sudden, it just, it clicked with me. This is the end of his ministry. At the very beginning, before his ministry started, he was taken into the wilderness and tempted to be self-sufficient. Three different times. He was tempted to be self-sufficient, and three different times Jesus said, I will not depend on myself. I will depend on my Father and my Father alone. And he will provide for me when he needs to provide for me. He sees me. He is going to take care of me. It is not me that is supposed to take care of myself. And then now, fast forward, you come to the end of his life, the end of his ministry, and you see this bookend, at least in my mind, I'm seeing this bookend where it's almost like he is walking that temptation road again. Right. And he is continuing to say, I refuse to depend on myself and my own ability and my own powers. Like we have seen Jesus's powers manifested. We know what he's capable of. He knows what he's capable of. And yet he says, my biggest focus is my father. I, I will not depend on myself and my own abilities. And you see that played out here. He, he doesn't depend on himself for his ability to, to carry the cross. And his father provides, takes care of him. Then you go down further and, and you see them offer this anesthetic, aesthetic, this anesthetic to numb his pain for what he is going through. And he says, no, like that's, that's it. That begins to be me being self-sufficient, me trying to you know, suffer through this in, in my own abilities because then my pain is numbed and I don't feel it as much. No, 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 that's not what this is about. I'm, I'm counting on my father. I'm not counting on this medication to get me through. And then you go down further and you see this continuous like temptation by all of those around him. Like you, it, it says that they're hurling insults, but these insults are couched in temptation. Right. Like, um, Come down the, from the cross. Yeah. Right. The, well, and so hold on. There was one specifically. Oh, right here. Yeah. Come down from the cross. If you are the son of God, that sounds an awful lot like the temptations that, that Satan spoke, the tempter spoke into him in the wilderness. Since you are the son of God, turn this rock into bread. And so it's almost like he is, he is getting that again here in a, in a moment where I would assume it's a moment of weakness, not necessarily that he is going to give up weakness, but I mean, like there's been a lot that's gone on in his physical body. He's got to be weak. Mm -hmm. Anybody would be weak in this situation. And so he is in this, this weakened state. And even in this weakened state, as these temptations are coming at him of come down from the cross, since you are the son of God, like, you know, that Jesus is like, I know I'm the son of God. I know this, but coming down from the cross, that's not what the son of God does. The son is obedient to the father. And we already talked about this in the garden. We already worked through this together. And I know that this is obedience. Right. And so I am not going to count on myself. I'm not going to depend on myself. I'm not going to rescue myself, even though I could do all those things because my life is about the father. And they're asking him to to essentially perform another miracle because they said uh, he saved others, um, but he can't save himself. And if you come down off the cross, then we will believe in you. And right. they're like they're asking for another miracle. And he's already told them like it won't matter how many miracles I perform, no. it's not going to change your heart because you you just don't believe. Like I could do a miracle after miracle, and they're asking for another one, but he is 
still like that, as you pointed out, that that's what came to my mind. It's, it's a wilderness experience before him again, where they're just trying to get him to, you know, it's like Satan's last, last ditch effort. Yep. Like I, I couldn't do it at the beginning and maybe I can do it right before the end. I'm yep. going to try one more I'm time. I'm going to invalidate everything he's done to this point. And so it's just, uh, yeah, it's, it's quite a way to, to bookend. Um, but there is one thing that I, I just want to call back like before, like, you know, we, we end this, uh, this time together is, um, is where, uh, the, the soldiers, they, they sat down and kept watch mm-hmm. over him which they had been so good at following customary tradition up to this point. What would be expected of a Roman soldier with a crucifixion? But you guys pointed it out last week about the Holy Spirit moving. Um, And for me, I feel like this is another time where the Holy Spirit's moving. We already know that God's working within the Son. Like we see Mm -hmm. how the Father is making things, making, making a way for Jesus. But in this, like I still see the Holy Spirit making a way, even for those who are in the very act of taking his life. And so, I mean, it's, it, it, it really is a beautiful picture of what God desires his church to be. You know, we see this, Jesus has, has given us this great example of what the church should be. He's told us how, what our hearts should look like, what obedience should look like. And this is, hey, I'm dying and this is what my death should, it shouldn't be in vain. This is what it should look like. Mm. It should look like my father sending an advocate because it's going to be better than me being here. And so the advocate seems like he's already at work in the heart of these soldiers who would typically flee. You know, we've done our part. He can't go anywhere. They'd hang cross and then walk away. He can't go anywhere. And there is something about Jesus that is holding their attention. And... In the midst of being mocked, being beaten, being spit on, um, being tempted, like he's still at work mm-hmm. in the midst of all of that. And he has to say very little to accomplish very much. Right. I think in, in that statement of, of accomplishing very much, um, Something that stuck out to me when I was reading this passage before Sunday in preparation for Sunday um, was uh, in verse uh, verse 43. It says, He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. And I read that and I was like, he does trust in his father, right? We like we've established that. And the father was saving who he wanted to save. Every single one of those people doing that. In in the father. Like we're only talking about this from Jesus' perspective cuz I I mean he's the one that we can kind of comprehend because of the humanity piece, but like we, we can't really comprehend the father, but by the father leaving his son on the cross, he was rescuing exactly who he wanted to rescue. Because that's what it cost. The, the salvation of the people standing there, the salvation of the people 
who had long been gone, the salvation of the people who were still going to be coming, depended on that on him being left there. And salvation for Jesus would have short-circuited his work and salvation for everyone. And that just, that, that got me, th- those specific words, let God rescue him now if he wants him. Oh, I can tell you he wanted him. But he also wanted us. And thank you, Jesus, that that is the case. I I shared this on Sunday, but, you know, uh, from Gethsemane on, Jesus just, it feels like for me this shift, and we've talked about it in prior weeks of obedience, and it truly is. I mean, it's the greatest example of what love is because, like, if we love God, we're going to be obedient. Mm -hmm. There is no greater example of love not just because we say, oh, well, he died for us, but it's not just his love for us. And that's something that I think like, I've, I've like come to realize more over the past few weeks as we've been going through this. Like It is the greatest example of love, but that love isn't just for me. That love is for the Father, and he is living that out. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I shared a little on Sunday that, I I am a person who loves to talk. It, sometimes <laughs> sometimes that's sometimes that's a good thing and sometimes that's a, a really bad thing. And Jesus throughout his ministry had no problem talking. But when it was time to be quiet, hmm. he was able to be quiet. And so for like for me like I have no problem talking, but Jesus I need help to know more when I need to stop talking and be okay with not talking, be okay with quiet because sometimes being obedient means not saying anything. If he were to maybe have attempted to defend himself, it probably doesn't look the same to those who are gathered around. Right. I have to wonder if the way that Jesus portrayed who he is before those soldiers as they were parading him around like a doll didn't make a difference after he hung on the cross. Because if he sits there and and starts to defend who he is and the way they're treating him, maybe they do treat it like any other crucifixion. Hmm. But he doesn't. He only says what the Father wants him to say. And when it matters the most... The way he is living is saying all that needs to be said. And they are sitting there. And for me, I feel like there must have been some expectation. You don't just sit there if you're not expecting something to happen. Like, he can't go anywhere. Mm -hmm. He can't do anything. At least not from a physical perspective. Not unless he is exactly who he's accused of being. So, not saying anything must have made a huge impact. Mm -hmm. And who knows how long he was there before them in the praetorium. Derek, when you said that, you know, sometimes the answer is to not to say anything, and I feel like a lot of times 
that is the answer. Majority of the time, I feel like, and for me specifically, that when when I'm at a cross of what I need to do, most of the time it's don't say a word. I just feel like we've been trained to always feel like we have to have a response. Like as believers, we've been trained to always have a response. And for me this week, I think Jesus is saying, let me be the response. We sang on Sunday, this little light of mine. Sometimes we just have to let the light shine. Like we don't know, we don't always have to like say everything that makes the light work. Just let the light shine. Be sure to follow the Living Vertizano podcast to stay current on all our new releases. To learn more about the Church at Riverstone, visit us at thechurchatriverstone.org.